Hi, and welcome to Bacon and Eggs. My name is Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Edgehill. Thanks for tuning in to our first episode. This is a new podcast we created to be entertainment for your morning commute. We've known each other for a little over 13 years at this point, and in that time, it's been a goal of ours to never stop being creative together. Unfortunately, that grew a little more difficult for us when we moved away. Podcasting seemed like our next logical step. We've kicked around ideas on what to do for years, and I think we finally settled on a topic we like. Since we met, we've been going to the movies together, reading the same books, listening to the same music, and having in-depth conversations about all of it. We used to spend hours in the local bookstore behind the movie theater, going back and forth about the movies we just saw. Really getting down to the nitty-gritty of the content we took in. So our goal here is to bring that to all of you listening. It's going to be a little bit of review, a little bit of theory, and the occasional hot take. So thanks everyone for listening. And we promise, this intro will just be a one-time thing. So without further ado, Tyler, what'd you think of Game of Thrones this week? Well, I didn't catch Game of Thrones this week, but I did watch Iron Man. Oh man, Iron Man. Takes me back to a time when the actual midnight premiere came out at midnight, it's at 7.30. Yeah, and that midnight premiere came out 3,413 days ago. That's a long time ago. Was that That's like, like, like nine nearly, years? Yeah, like nearly 10 years. Good lord. Yeah, it feels like just yesterday, but believe it or not, we could not drive to this movie ourselves. Yeah, no, did not have a driver's license. Nope. So that's horrifying. I mean, it takes something to make a 24-year-old feel old. Yeah, that was actually the day I got my learner's permit. I think, yeah, you might be right about that. Yeah. I do remember that day. Oh, man. Anyway, this movie grossed $585.2 million on a budget of only $140 million. Well, that must mean people liked it. What did, what did people think about it? Well, it actually did better with critics than it did with the audience reception, but both were extremely high numbers, and honestly, the difference is probably negligible. Well, it got a 94% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 91% audience reception on Rotten Tomatoes. So like I said, very similar numbers there, but slightly edged out by the critic reception. So you're telling me there's a superhero movie that the critics liked better than the audience. That's what I'm telling you, man. That doesn't seem possible. I know. And this is like the first big one that kicked off a whole new era of superhero yeah, it films. Yeah, got that Marvel Cinematic Universe going on. There's been, what, 20,000 films? Well, like 16, but we'll get back to that. I mean, probably. Eventually, hopefully. So, Ethan, do you remember Iron Man? I, I mean, I've, I've seen it recently enough, I believe. You know, I may, I may or may not have watched it last night. Nice. Well, tell me what it's about. So, it's about this fellow named Tony Stark. I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not. He was kind of an innovator in the weapons scene here a while ago when that whole thing was kicking off with, you know, the Middle East and all that controversy. So, this guy, Tony, he's real rich because of all this. And people don't really like him all that much. So basically what happens is Tony gets kidnapped by a group of terrorists known as the Ten Rings, which is a villain I really don't know anything about, but it sounds like they've got some comic book presence. That's yeah, a pretty sinister name for somebody that gets pretty much wiped out relatively quickly in this movie. Because they, they messed with Tony Stark, the, the greatest mind of all time. And, and even later in the film, they address the fact that they didn't even want to kidnap Tony Stark. And they didn't realize that that's who they were kidnapping. So they try to force him to, to make another copy of this big old bomb that he built. It's called the Jericho Missile. And he decides that he's not going to do that. Instead, he decides he's going to create this super suit and blow his way out of this cave in the Middle East. Now, and that's all well and good, but unfortunately, the man who rescued him and has been keeping him alive with a portable arc reactor in his chest uh, dies saving Tony while he is escaping in the new in the first Mark One Iron Man suit. And that, that means a lot to Tony. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever really sacrificed himself for Tony, even in, in the smallest regard at this point. So that's, that's a big turning point for him. Anyway, 
heads on back to the States. He's a new man. Yeah, I mean, he's a completely different person. He goes from Playboy before leaving to, like, you know, I mean, everything but. Now he's just a philanthropist, and he doesn't even want anything to do with weapons construction. But he can't quite let go of the Iron Man suit that he created. No, but he tells the whole world that his company's going to shut down weapons manufacture. You know who's not happy about this? His business partner, Obadiah Stane. Which is a really sinister name. It is a sinister name, but it is also the name of the man who helped Tony's father found Stark Industries. Uh, and, and he's been Tony's business partner his whole life and helped raise the boy after his father died. And I think that has a lot to do with the problems that Tony has kind of encountered down the road. Is that he feels like he can never really add up to what his father wanted him to. And I don't think this guy's really helping him. No, Obadiah definitely capitalizes on Tony's genius and definitely wants to take advantage of everything that the Stark name is and 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 you know profit off of it so long story short this guy spends a lot of time building these super suits you know he makes three four of them finally figures out the whole flight thing it's a lot of a couple hiccups there's a really great robot that just i absolutely love who just keeps dousing him with fire extinguisher over and over again it's one of my favorite running jokes in any movie ever and while tony's doing all that obadiah is in the background trying to recreate the arc reactor that tony built in the cave while he was uh away so to speak now why does he need that arc reactor so that he can power his own suit right because he got the suit from the ten rings because it turns out all along he was in charge and responsible for tony getting kidnapped in the first place and he was the one that ordered the hit on tony's life and he was so out of whack with this that even the ten rings a terrorist organization said that they didn't want anything to do with tony stark and they didn't want to have to they weren't being paid enough to take out tony stark no because he didn't even tell them who their target was correct so essentially his lovely tony's lovely assistant pepper Potts, gets you know gets a note into this and realizes what's going on figures out obita is actually the bad guy and he go, she goes with agent colson of you know shield fame although it's not even called shield at this point they had not uh, come up with the name yeah it happens by the end of the film i know and it's a, just a great reveal yeah you know i mean that was yeah i agree we can get back to my thoughts on that later yes anyhow they go to arrest Obadiah, and at this point, Obadiah has already taken the arc reactor out of Tony's chest, leaving him for dead, essentially. He's rescued by his comrade, uh, Rhodes. What is Rhodes' first name? It's just Rhodes. Is it just Rhodes? It's Rhodey. Yeah, it's Colonel Rhodes. Yeah, okay. And he's rescued by his, his comrade, good friend, Colonel Rhodes, the guy who's been helping him this whole time figure out his, his life and his place in the world. And they go to, to stop Stain. And after a big, long, you know, Michael Bay-esque battle, the whole thing's really kind of over. So then there at the end, Pepper, ever the hero she is, is the one who delivers the final blow to the main villain of the film. And that ends up being important later on, way down the road. But it also wins her the love of Tony's heart, first and finally. And now Tony, being the first and pioneer of a new cinematic universe, has two options. He can either go play the normal superhero role and keep his identity a secret and go with the alibi that's been provided for him by shield or he can reveal to the world that he is iron man and tony being the vain man he is reveals to the world that he is iron man as the last line of the movie i am iron man all right so we've done a little rundown on the film hopefully everybody listening to this has seen it and will not need that rundown and rolled their eyes throughout the whole thing if you have not seen iron man please send us an email at baconandeggsmedia at gmail.com because i'm so sorry we just spoiled this movie for you but i would love to send you a copy of iron man it's super duper. Hashtag spoilers. So what are your thoughts on this film? I, I, I want to go through the whole thing, not necessarily scene by scene, but what did you like? What didn't you like? 
And I, I don't want to say what would you change because I, I'm sort of of the belief that once this product is created, like... There's no going back. It, right. There's no going back. There's just what you liked and what you didn't like. I mean, from the very get-go, from the beginning, I, I personally think that they try to paint Tony as this this guy you're not supposed to like. He's just... He's a little bit of a jerk. He's a little bit sexist. He's a little bit, I'm just going to throw my money on the table. You know, he, he has the whole thing with the, the martini glasses that come out of the big military box. And has, oh my gosh, I thought that was so good. Has that line like the, about, you know, yeah. every order over half a million gets one of these thrown in for free. Right, where he shows up at the, the defense contractor's meeting and he's like doing the demonstration. And afterwards he opens a big weapons box. Yeah, and he's he's just the worst he's hitting on the the person driving the humvee right before they get blown up and i mean he's just he you're not you i feel like you're not supposed to i do like him but i feel like you're not supposed to like him they definitely paint that picture of him just being this this horrible kind of philandering just awful playboy type well yeah and, and what i love about that that opening scene is that like he's in the humvee and it's like the pre-flashback scene right he's in the humvee and like acdc's playing on the radio and the guy sitting next to him is like looking at him and then looks away looks at him and looks away and then he's like can i take a picture with you <laughs> yeah it's just he's this absolute celebrity he's he's you know the the they call him the prodigal son later on and i mean clearly the whole world knows who this guy is but he's just not the kind of guy that you really really want to be associated with he's almost like a paris paris hilton type person he's he's famous but he's not the good kind of famous right right and and what i love about that scene where the kid asks to take a selfie he throws up the peace sign and tony's like no no no, no gang signs and then the kid's like oh okay and then he's like no i'm just kidding throw it up he goes peace he says, yeah i love peace be out of a job without peace yeah yeah so it's you know and then that is directly contrasted later on in the film when he's had an interview with vanity fair and they're like and he says you know the moment that the world doesn't need my weapons i'll be happy to be building you know bridges and st-. actually it was hospitals prior to that and- like right i'll be building hospitals for the children i'll be building children's hospitals is what he says yeah and that actually happens later in the film but in a flashback from that moment so like a day before right. he says that to the guy in the humvee and you can just see the difference between the rehearsed public facing tony and the guy that he really is when he's just around a few people right right and he's got this kind of double life and you know that's kind of the, the trope that superheroes always have to play with is this double life thing and they build you up throughout this movie and i think this is done really well to having tony being this man that's about this double life too tony this superhero with one identity and so you expect him given the opportunity just to just hide like he's always been hiding and then he just sits down and goes nah screw that this isn't x-men we're not gonna hide you know this is i am iron man right and it really sets a tone for the whole rest of the, the the marvel series because nobody really has these secret identities right right and you know like everybody knows who captain america is everybody knows who Oh, those people are. Right. Um, and up to this point, it had all been superheroes that hid. It was, you know, Spider-Man, who was very much different from Peter Parker, and Bruce Wayne is very much different from Batman, whereas this is the first time that you know, Tony Stark is Iron Man. He, right. to the public, they know it. Right. And then they, they, of course, have to address that trope of, like, well, if you don't have a secret identity, then they're going to kind of come after the people you love. And they're going to they do, do that, that anyway. If I've learned right. anything they're gonna from find any superhero out. movie, is they're going to do that anyway. Right. Even if... <laughs> Even if they have no idea that Aunt May is your aunt, they're going <laughs> to... So Uncle Ben still gets shot, let right. me tell you, every single time. Right. 
I will say this though, just kind of like the movie starts and then on that first scene of him, I noticed that one, this is 10 years ago, roughly now. Uh, he looks so young. So young. And, oh, he's and like I'm a si- baby. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, he doesn't really look that much different when it, than he used to when I see him now. And then I'm thinking, wow, yes, he does. Yeah. Like, he's a little, a little baby Tony. A little baby and Robert Downey Jr. And you know what's crazy is I remember when this movie came out thinking to myself, nah, that's a grown man. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's, like, he was in his 40s at that point, I guess. I think. Right. And, and I, I mean, yeah. He, 30, he's older late 30s, than we are. early 40s. Yeah, he was in. But I remember thinking that he was older. And then now, when I look at him in that compared to in like Civil War, I'm like, whoa. Whoa. Tony, you're looking rough, brother. You're getting older. Yeah. Um, I also noticed. I don't know that I loved what they did with his makeup in those first scenes. He had like, I don't know if you noticed this, but he had like very, very red lips. Yeah, I and did. I, I don't, I don't know if that was supposed to be like a, a nod to like Tony likes red later on down the road, but I don't think that it was necessary. It may not have even been intentional. Like it, they were very washed out first scenes, you know, military desert, but it wasn't, right. it wasn't like a military desert movie. So they weren't really, I don't think, set up to film like a military desert movie. I don't know. That Jericho missile scene could not have been cheap. No, but at the same time, it's, you know, you're coming at it from a different, like John Favreau, the director, is not the kind of guy that makes movies like, you know, The Hurt Locker. Right. Right. No, I mean, I agree with so that. So I'm just saying that's, I think that's a lot of like, it's, it's superhero. He's supposed to stand out as opposed to, you know, that kind of thing. Because he really does. I mean, stands out compared to everybody else with the the beard and the. You the, know, the whole the... the whole thing and standing there with the sunglasses and, and he's in the jesus pose as the the shockwave comes and gets him like that's an amazing scene oh yeah it's awesome absolutely awesome and and uh, just on the topic of amazing scenes and i'm jumping around a lot here but they also give us the very first like iron man suit being put together onto tony's body scene yeah and those are the best scenes yeah absolutely you know They've got to stick one of those in every movie just to remind you that right. hey, this is and it, freaking awesome. It just keeps getting more simple for him to put the suit on, but there's still always that like that mechanism breaks and he has to do the old fashioned way. And right. Every to, single like... movie. So what I think is very interesting, one of the themes I noticed from the beginning is well not from the beginning, from the from the after the time where it's post flashback and he gets captured. This guy has absolutely no idea how arms trading works. Right. Where does right. he think he is, that terrorists get their guns? Exactly. And he is like completely oblivious to and this this goes back to how Obadiah like must be incredibly controlling of Tony as the only father figure yeah. he's ever had. Because like like how on earth does Tony not know who he's selling his weapons to? Yeah, no, I mean but even then, like, he just seems flabbergasted about the fact that they would even have access to it. Even if he didn't directly sell them to the terrorists, he's just never considered the black market, any kind of, you know, shady deals like that. It's just, it, there's no facet in his brain as to how somebody he doesn't want to directly have his weapons has them. He's never considered it. Right. And that just fascinates me. Is This, this guy is the, the, the weapons mogul of the whole world. He's, he's the guy, there's literally a bomb with his name on it that comes and attacks him. There's a great scene where he's laying there on the ground and this bomb that says Stark Industries blows up in his face and that's the first time this guy has ever thought about that so he even has that like rehearsed thing that he says to the press every time they ask him you know how do you feel about being an arms dealer in such a, a violent world 
Um, and he even says to Christine Everhart, you know, it's an imperfect world, but it's the only one we got. I guarantee you the day my weapons are no longer needed to keep the peace. I'll start making bricks and beams for baby hospitals. And then she says, do you rehearse that much? And he says, every night in front of the mirror before bedtime. Well, and that, I know I've already touched on that, but I think that that is such a pivotal quote in this movie. And that he is like, I, I, I've been told to believe this every night since I called it bedtime. Right. So like I am a child on some level. Not only that is like, you know, I have to believe that weapons are needed to keep the peace because that's what I was born and raised on. And then when my father died, the man that took over raised me on that. Right. He he literally says, OK, and here's a straight answer. My old man had a philosophy. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. Right. So he is convinced that his his sticks only go to the right guys. There's no physical way in his brain that that could, they could possibly have his weapons anybody that's right to. yeah and he's got this approach in his mind that like he's building weapons for the the u.s or u.n government or whoever it is that keeps peace in this world uh at the time before major superhero storylines um and they're the only ones that are getting his his tech yeah and you know he talks about my father helped defeat the Nazis. He worked on the Manhattan Project. A lot of people, including professors Brown, would, would call him a hero. Um, but you know, like there's two sides to every war, of course, and that's and that's but that's something he's uh, never considered. Nobody has ever put it in his in his face to consider. It's never come across before. And I think that that's why so early on in the movie they have to have somebody like this character of Jensen who ends up sacrificing himself for tony tony has to be addressed like to him he sees we're fighting this war because people are attacking us and yinsen shows him that we're fighting these wars because people are attacking us and you are intervening yeah and they're getting upset about it and attacking you yeah and it's just there's and that's the thing is there's only ever been one side of the coin for him and he's placed he's faced with that first choice when they tell him you know they first kidnap him and they say they want him to build the jericho missile for them and he immediately just goes i refuse i thought that was incredible like this, there's no way that right before that bomb that literally had his name on it blew up in his face. Would this guy have said, I refuse? Right. It was a turn early enough on that he was faced with the choice between living and dying. And he chose probably dying. And yeah. And he was like, he also, I don't think, like, I think he believes he's a little bit invincible and he does like a ton of growing up as soon as he sees that they have that. And then somebody saves his life. You know, it's yeah. kind of that that come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Yeah, this this guy who doesn't know him from Adam helps him build this arc reactor to keep, helps keep him alive to start with by putting an electromagnet into his chest. Which I don't understand. We'll come back to that in a minute because I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> but I don't really get it This guy puts the electromagnet into his chest, man, keeps this guy alive. He wakes up, there's a car battery attached to him, and this dude helps him break apart different bombs to get like a gram and a half of palladium. And, you know, build this arc reactor in his chest. This guy has no idea who he is. It takes them, like, six scenes of them being together, working together, and talking before Tony ever asks his name. That's true. That's true. And it's also a testament to how hard of a worker Tony is. You know, I mean, we have that scene where we're we're looking at Tony growing up and we're seeing all of his education. And he's so smart, but he's so sheltered. 
You know, he's got this genius brain. Yeah, graduated 17 from MIT or whatever. Right. And and then just did did whatever for like four or five years, comes back at 21 to give up on his dreams and run his dad's arms company. Because he's the greatest arms engineer of of all time. Yeah, because he can do anything. He built anything he puts his mind to. And and it shows that, you know, he has no practical application for what he's building. Even they talk about later in the movie when he he built the arc reactor and they were like, there was no practical application for this. Yeah, we always knew the arc reactor is, Obadiah literally says, we always knew the arc reactor was a publicity stunt it was never going to be cost efficient but right. they made it so, and it worked and it saved his life somehow right Still and there's not this really sure on that one but and there's this world where there's sustainable energy and still any sort of crisis in the middle east but whatever yeah. well no but that's the thing is that the it's not sustainable energy because apparently it's more expensive than regular pa- it's clean energy it's not sustainable gotcha yeah well either way there's a sustainable energy source that we're not giving any credit to right because there's one and it powers the stark bomb factory which i think is a whole nother just what yeah it powers the stark bomb factory that's it that's all it does the 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 cleanest energy known to man powers the bomb factory so that's interesting but you know that's i mean there's a lot of stuff about tony that's like immediately contradictory um you know, like like his clean energy powers a bomb factory, and he um, there's this recurring theme throughout the film where he, he, they say there's this recurring theme throughout the film where they talk about Tony not being sentimental or nostalgic, but then you'll see th- Tony doing things all the time that are very clearly sentimental or nostalgic. Yeah, I mean, he directly like, for says, example, you know, he has that line about there's a lot of things people call me nostalgic isn't one of them when Pepper hands him the the first arc reactor framed. Which right, saves his as life, though, but a whole right, different... Right, that, that saved his life. And I don't think he's willing to admit that he's nostalgic or um, sentimental because, like, earlier in the film when he's talking to Pepper, he is wrenching a hot rod, which is, like, a nostalgic car, and he's wrenching it with, like, tools, tools. like hand, hand tools. tools. When he has robots that can that can do it. They're, they're the right, smartest can... robots ever. They know whether or but, not to douse him with... You know, fire extinguisher. But not only that, like, he's immediately sentimental and nostalgic, and he's immediately nostalgic when he gets back from being captured, and that he goes back into building more Iron Man suits. Yeah. Like, you could have just called it quits when you escaped, but instead you were like, this was awesome. <laughs> and you wanted to build more of them yeah. to, to avenge, and, you know, I don't know if, like, you know, avenging somebody and nostalgia could definitely be in the same category, but... You are revisiting something that happened in the past. But no, I mean, he's not, he doesn't have a purpose at first for building them. Well, he just comes back and just decides he wants to build another one. That's before he even knows something's going on in Golmira or whatever it is. Right. And then he finds out about Golmira and he weaponizes it. Yeah. It's, at first, it was just a flight suit. He was just, can I do this? Because I think he's just right. so bored with his own intellect that it's, it's finally a challenge for the first time, you know, in a long time. Uh, what do you think of Tony's cell phone? Oh, the fact that he just. Wait, what is Tony's cell phone? Tony's cell phone is that phone that uh, it was like the first phone to have like uh, widescreen video. It was the one that oh yeah, the... you hold it and you flip it sideways. <laughs> yeah, I forgot he had that. I just, I, just I wanted so... to take a moment to mention it's that. So 2008. It's so pre iPhone. Right, like, it was like like and and so what do you think of? Um, did you notice that the only magazine? We really see Tony talk to his Vanity Fair. Yeah, I thought that was pretty self-explanatory in there. He is, he is by his own admission, the world's most vain person. Who else would he talk to? He doesn't have time for time, obviously. He was time person of the year, I think. 
pretty sure there was a, a scene of him being time person of the year you know i think that that was the case i know his father was and that's a big deal later on yeah but i just he didn't have time for all that that's that's old news he's interested in vanity fair for starters because of christina everhart christina christine 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 everhart uh he's interested because of that of her and he's also interested because it's just a it's a gossip rag that's the only interesting kind of, of news to him because he makes the real news the news is him Right, right, and he wants to be, like, he is that vain, and I think it's super interesting that, like, in the beginning when he talks to Vanity Fair, he talks to Vanity Fair because the girl's cute, and because, actually, actually, I love, at this time, um, I love that he talks to Vanity Fair because he has uh, John Favreau's character look at her and be like, she's cute, and then he's like, she's all right, and, like, he looks at her and he's <laughs> Uh, we talked about this scene a lot, and I could talk about it all day. Uh, well, it's a, it's a very her, important scene. It really is, and and, and uh, you know, it's, it's this is probably my favorite f- scene in the whole film. But um, you know, he talks to her because she's cute, and then he goes through the whole thing where he argues with her, and then she says, "If you ever lost an hour of sleep in your life," and he said, "I'd be prepared to lose a few with you." And she just looks horrified. Uh, and then there's a cut then, of it, them back in his bedroom. And you know, there's the whole thing where. And that's that. Now that's the whole thing is they paint him as being irresistible, even to the military colonel, even to Colonel Rhodes, because there's that scene where they're on the plane, and Rhodey's like, "I'm not drinking." I said this six times. I'm not drinking. And then there's a, a straight cut, and they're just plastered they're plastered drinking sake yeah i think while, sake. while his flight attendants like strip for him and the pole comes out of the ground yeah, it's just he's he's irresistible he's impossible to get around and i think he's, that's what ends up drawing him to pepper so much is because she does not care that he is tony stark right she's just like okay whatever tony <laughs> but no back to vanity fair i think he also talks to vanity fair because she's clearly the only one interested in asking him hard questions but he even deflects those hard questions like they're they're nothing. Like I like we're gonna end up quoting this whole. No, scene. not at the end though, is... because the end that's what gets him is he's ready. He's prepared with his his alibi. He's got his cards, and she just hits him with something. He goes, "Oh crap! I can't! I can't do this." Right. She talks to him at the end, and um, she's he, you know he's talking about he, he's like losing his words. There's been speculation. I was involved in the events that occurred on the freeway and the rooftop. And then she's like, do you, do you expect us to believe it was a bodyguard? And he like fumbles over his response. And he response. goes, I'm not a superhero. <laughs> she just right. goes, I, <laughs> I didn't say I, you were, buddy. <laughs> Sorry to burst your little bubble there. And then he like, he's even more caught off guard. He's like, well, that would be uh, outlandish and uh, fantastic is what he says. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Uh, he says, that would be fantastic, which is just, and she kind of looks at him and goes, what? are you Iron Man? And, and she knows at that point because she's the only one that doesn't stand up at the end. She's like, oh my gosh, Tony, you sly she dog. Sits, she sits right there. All the other reporters freak out and she just sits there. As it pans out, yeah. she just she just chills because she's the only one that ever got the answers from him. And I think that's very interesting. I'm glad she never came back. I don't think she comes back. I don't, I don't know, Most crack. people don't. Rhodey didn't even come back. They got a new actor. They got a new actor. Which I, I have a note in here, written in here that says, I'm so glad they got Don Cheadle. I like Don Cheadle, but I think if we get into those other films, we're going to get to a point where I'm like, I don't understand why I'm supposed to know so much about this guy and I don't know anything about him. I mean, it was they made it clear enough that, that it was still Rhodes. 
Like it's still roadie. I thought um, John Favreau was an interesting choice for John Favreau to make in this film. Yeah, and and I think he was an interesting choice throughout all the films. And I think at first he was like just gonna be like John Favreau. I'm just gonna be this you know occasional cameo bodyguard kind of stands in the back of the scenes that way we don't have to pay somebody else for it. And then I think he liked himself so much that he continued to add himself well, he, in and add more. He lines does and... always appear in his own movies. Well, I think that's pretty normal. But I mean, it's it's I mean, it's not though. It's it's not really normal. Well, it's not like unheard of. No, it's not unheard of, but it's not very common. Is he in the Jungle Book? I don't know. There's only one person in the Jungle Book. It's Mowgli. Well, then he's probably not in the Jungle Book. He probably made some animal sounds. Or voiced an animal. Yeah. But, I mean, he is usually in his own movies. But I think it's interesting because the, when he starts to play a major role, or a more major role, is Iron Man 3, and he didn't direct that one. Was he responsible for the new Spider-Man? No. No? No. He has a huge role in that movie. Yeah, he is, he's, like, when he starts to get more lines and stuff is when he takes the reins off. I thought it was really interesting. But, I mean, that's that's a topic for a later day. So what do you think of this, that Tony's only friend is, like, the defense contractor for the Air Force? That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, his, he's clearly never developed meaningful relationships with anybody outside of his work. Like, he is his work. And I think it's interesting that Rhodey, like, doesn't worship Tony. Like, he doesn't take the crap either. You know, he's kind of like Pepper in that he's like, okay, Tony, whatever. You do your little Tony thing. And that's um, why I think but then, he's drawn to Rhodey is because Rhodey, again, doesn't care that he's Tony Stark. Right. He's, he's not impressed yeah. by it. He doesn't even want to know about, like, the Iron Man suit when he's building it. And uh, I think, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care about that or anything. And then, you know, when Tony's like, I don't want to make weapons anymore, he's even, like, he's kind of confused, but he's not like, I'm not going to, I'm going to make no, you make all weapons. all he does is make that joke about, man, you make a lot of people real happy because we are all terrified now that we don't have weapons anymore. We are literally terrified. We're getting murdered on the daily. So I think that's an interesting friendship. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting that that's his only, I mean, his friends are pretty much Rhodey, Pepper, and the bodyguard, which just says a lot about him. Well, and his other friend that he thinks is a friend and the only person that he really puts a lot of trust into and that he wants to impress is Obadiah. It's Obadiah, because Obadiah to him is his father. And all Tony cares about is his father. And Tony, you know, has this like lifelong legacy of living up to his father and wanting to be just like his father. And, you know, that's going to create a bunch of conflict with people down the line who knew his father. But right. um, and Tony just doesn't Tony doesn't care about Tony. Tony doesn't want to be Tony he wants to be Howard Stark too and that's a lot of that's what Tony's saying he's like he's not nostalgic for his own life like I'm willing to bet the Corvette that he's wrenching was probably his father's car that was not a Corvette whatever it is the hot rod I don't know who made those hot rods it's been a long time I don't man. either they're from like the 40s it's probably like a Packard or a Studebaker or a Rolls Royce I have no idea he has a Rolls he is there is a no there's a Bentley in the movie. no it's a Rolls it's a rolls. A rolls and an Audi. Yeah, a rolls and a lot of Audis. Even the random people on the highway are driving Audis. Oh, I know. Which might There's just like be Los Audi. Angeles, but, you know. It is in Malibu. Is that Los Angeles? Yeah. I mean, Malibu is like a little island outside of LA. It's for super rich people. Like Silicon Valley? No, that's different. Silicon Valley is where they invented the internet. Is that really what happened there? Yeah. Is that what, is that, what yeah. that is? They invented, like, computers and the internets and the internet and stuff. And, like, Stanford's there, and that's originally where Microsoft was and stuff. I think. Don't quote me on that. There's a lot of tech companies out there. Back to Iron Man. I think it's interesting that while he's doing all the tests to like learn how to fly, that he can't do the math to figure out how much thrust his little body needs to fly. Yeah, I, 
I think he can do the math. I think that is definitely some movie magic. I think it absolutely is. Like because Tony Stark. That is a great montage. Who built an arc reactor in a cave right. with a box of yeah, scraps. Great line. Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> I just want to, uh, real, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Jeff Bridges. Because I think Jeff Bridges, who plays Obadiah Stane, did a really great job with it. And he was not really given much to work with. I agree with that. I also don't think I realized it was Jeff Bridges. Like, I know Jeff Bridges looks like and sounds like and is like. But I think he really, like, he really became that character. Which, and, and maybe I'm wrong. But, like, it's not a very good character. Like, it's not particularly well written. And he's right. just overtly sinister. And, and, right. and that's like part he's of the, got that the, the like, whole that was a whole flaw in the movie for me is that Obadiah is obviously the bad guy here. From just from the beginning. Obviously. Well, the bad I think guy. right at the beginning he doesn't seem like the bad guy when he's doing the like award presentation and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's very clear that like Obadiah brings Tony back into arms dealing. Yeah, I mean the greatest mind of our time. Yeah. Making weapons. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's he's obviously the bad guy there. What I don't get is his motive. Because he wants Tony... It's the business. Why does he want Tony dead? Because then he has controlling share in the stock. I just feel like that wouldn't happen. It already happened. It happened while Tony was alive. What happens is Tony comes back and he's no longer the genius that invents for the business. And he now wants to be like the CEO for the business and take over the like moral and ethical compass of the business. And the board of directors says, no, you're not going to do that because we want money. Right. But, Which, I mean, you know, any good board know, of directors uh, for fair, a that's company what, that's why of arms dealers... Have- boards of directors is to keep the crazy ceos in check to keep the inventors from from going crazy but i just don't, yeah i don't get why he wants him dead i don't i don't see the motive there i feel like tony is worth more to obadiah alive well obadiah believes that he has perfect like obadiah lives in this sort of same problem that tony has and that they want to live up to howard's legacy and obadiah has got this kind of control over tony where you know that's kind of his whole shtick is that whatever tony do i can do better and if i can't i can control tony to do it for me yeah and then, but then he he can't even build the arc reactor. Like he can't get his team of scientists to build the arc reactor. But then he's already got the perfect dark reactor that he stole from Tony because he can kind of control right, Tony with Tony temporary was, paralysis. If Tony was dead. He doesn't have that innovation. I don't. I don't think he thought that one through. Oh, the the problem was the reason he wanted Tony's arc reactor was so that he could recreate it. He thought that if he got everything he does, he does because he's recreating what Tony's already done. Yeah. His Iron Man suit is just a. A much improved but still crude version of the Iron Man suit from the cave. Right. So he thinks if I can get Tony's arc reactor, like miniature arc reactor, then I can recreate yeah. it. But that's and... but that's the thing. That's the whole thing I'm saying is like I think that they didn't really flesh out his motive enough. I think that he is a villain for the sake of being a villain, and that always rubs in the wrong ways. Like he would obviously have thought like unless he was just so far off the rails, but he would have thought. I probably need to keep the innovator around. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. I think that, you know, it, it, it would not have been to his benefit to kill Tony. Yeah, it's not going to help. Um, it's, you don't, you don't, he, and he makes the comment about the golden goose. It's like, you don't kill the golden goose, though. That's the whole, the whole adage is you do, you want the goose, not the egg. You don't just murder the goose. Well, but I think that the whole thing is that because he's the bad guy, he can't quite see that, and he wants his golden and that's, egg. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. Is that's that's the greed it, part that's of it. Just, that's it, though, is he's just the bad guy. And I don't, I don't like that. And I think that they did a really good job with motive for the villains throughout the rest of the Marvel movies. I think this one, they fell a little bit short on villainous motive like i think obadiah stain is a villain for the sake of them needing a villain i mean yeah they definitely had to have a villain and i think that this was a good choice because they needed somebody who was going to be you know like relatively easy to flesh out 
while Tony was doing his thing, like they, I think they knew that they were going to have this, you know, this long-term character with Tony Stark. At least they were hoping that yeah. they were. And they needed to just kind of have a villain. There be somebody for him that to they defeat. Can right. Just- kill off and not worry about it right um but that's and that's part of the problem though is i don't think he learns anything from specifically from obadiah being the villain like he, i don't think he learns anything that he hasn't already known that he didn't figure out earlier in the movie mm. i think that it makes him appreciate those that he trusts like it definitely increases his relationship with pepper and with Rhodey, which down the line i think is important because, you know, he ends up marrying Pepper and she always comes in to save the day. And it also, I think, puts up some walls and it makes him kind of look back at who he was and who his father was. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of the theme of the whole thing. But overall, I mean, like, let's kind of back this up a little bit and just talk about, you know, do you think that we had a good villain in this movie? I think we had a, a good enough villain because I think to some extent, but that's what I'm saying is I think that the, I guess, and the Ten Rings everybody in the the Middle East is a direct result of Obadiah Stane, but I think that he learned just as much from getting kidnapped as he did from this this fight with this bad guy. Like, I firmly think that, that he would have come to the conclusions he came to from that fight eventually. And they, I think they could have well, done the I, villain better. Here's the thing, is I think it comes full circle because I think that, like, Tony, the um, split personality, is a result of the way that he was raised because of who, like, who Obadiah raised him to be. Right, but and I and maybe I'm just stuck on the motive thing, but I just to me it it doesn't make sense that this guy wants Tony dead, and if he didn't want Tony dead, there would be no Iron Man Tony. So it, it just it feels like a little bit too much of a plot device. I think they could have done a better villain. I don't know how, and I don't want it changed because it, it created the character it needed to create. But I just think that it could have come off better. Interesting thoughts. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, it's like I think the villain worked it felt like a very functional villain character to me it, it it just seemed like it was the they they kind of wrote the story and slipped him in the back end like how do we get from this point to this point create the mold the character around the conflict yeah i mean i think they i agree with what you're saying i think that they kind of had to just make it happen and make obadiah do his thing and be the be the bad guy that he ended up and, being and that's and, okay like it doesn't have to be you know this this grandiose villain that makes you think about everything it's just he had they had to get tony to where he is well and you also got some of the best villains in the history of movies have like no clear motives or are created by the hero being the hero you know i mean there's always the conversation about uh the joker you know like why is the joker who the joker is because batman is who batman right and that's is. the thing and is joker the joker isn't the to... villain batman is the villain to batman right like that's that's the right. whole thing with the joker is the joker is an implant imp- implant neither of us could talk tonight that's the whole thing. Not about the Joker. That's the whole thing with the Joker is the Joker is an imprint of Batman. He is the the bad side of Batman. And right. I think that Tony does a good enough job at being his own enemy because Tony is a and and you know granted it would have been a really short and crappy movie if Tony sees a bomb blow up in his face, escapes kidnapping, and it's just like. I'm a new person now and everybody's totally on board with it. But that's pretty much all they needed to happen is like Tony comes back and he's not a weapons maker anymore. He doesn't have the same, he's not the same person. Right, right. He's somebody completely different. Yeah. And it just, it to me, the rest of the movie kind of seemed redundant. Well, it had to end. Right. He has to have a yeah, big fight. Yeah, and it's got to, I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's got to have a big fight and it's got to have the love interest and he has to go into cardiac arrest and have him saved by Pepper like well she's not even there and everything has to happen that way and i don't know i don't i don't know just something about it kind of rubs me the wrong way i don't know if you were to rate obadiah as a villain like like 1 to like 10 1 to 10 
Okay, so if you want me to rate it on a 1 to 10, give me a, like a 1 being what, a 10 being what. So 1 would be like Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face who continues to flip coins. Oh, God. <laughs> and 10 being like Heath Ledger's Joker. Okay. Okay. I would I would probably say, you know, probably right at a 5, honestly. Right dead in the middle because on one hand, you know, well portrayed, well done. Consistent. Consistent. Um, great acting job. But, like, on the other hand, questionable motive, you know, doesn't really think out enough as to what's going to happen. Like, doesn't plan very well. I think a part, of, part of a great seven is, like, a lot of planning. And part of, like, a bad, like, three is absolutely no plan. Having no idea what the consequences of his actions are. And I think that it really comes, for me, it comes back to, like, this dude should not want Tony Stark dead. I think he's got a great plan. I think he's a seven. I think he's a seven. I think he's, he's okay. very well thought okay. out because he goes in. So I think hold, hold, not necessarily his like, Tony. What is his plan? Okay. Well, his plan is kill Tony, take over the company, become a billionaire, and develop the army so that he can you know, take over the world or take over the military or whatever it is his plan is with that. And that 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 is the unclear part. That's what keeps him from an eight, nine, or ten. And of course, I know in this scenario, our ten is like the planless greatest villain. But you know, I mean, I think he's got he's very well thought out in that he goes and. He tricks the Ten Rings into kidnapping Tony Stark for too small of a sum. And then it doesn't even matter because he goes and he kills them all. Yeah, which he was when, always going to do. Um, and I right, think that's important because they, they talk about, you know, Jensen says to Tony, like, you know, if you do this, he's not going to kill you. Tony goes, yes, he is. And Jensen's like, yeah, definitely. And then I think that they, yeah. they totally flip that around. It's like, yeah, you're still going to kill him. It's like, even if Tony doesn't escape, you're going to die because that that's the part that kind of doesn't make any sense to me is like, what was Obadiah's plan if Tony didn't escape? Like, would he just have a bunch of Jericho missiles? No, I think the plan was that they would that? just, I don't know what they wanted it to do. I think, hold on, hold on, I hold guess, on, hold on. I guess then he think, would just have control. Think this over. Let me think this over again. I, be, I think that, that we're missing something here. The 10 rings were supposed to just kill him. Like, not right. build, I think that the, the the Jericho missile thing was their idea, not Obadiah's idea. I think that once they found okay. out that it was Tony Stark, like once they ripped the back off his head and made that video about, like, you know, you told us, you didn't tell us it was Tony Stark, I think they were literally supposed to assassinate him at that moment and not ask anything of him. So they, so Obadiah's plan Just, was, like, I'm yeah, going to get, get him captured and, and killed. killed. Done. Clean, and that'll be, yeah. it'll be clean. Clean break. Let clean it go. And, done. and then they made it complicated and we're like no we're not going to kill tony stark but we will hold right. him prisoner and we'll make him build and we will stuff because they think weapons. if they have the jericho missile that they're invincible because it's the only thing they've seen that can really like scare them right i think it's interesting partially that the jericho missile is like such a big deal to them when this is a world where the manhattan project happened yeah but he, I mean, he, he, he negates that and says the line about like they always said that the greatest weapon is the one you never have to use and then he makes the comment that like, no, the greatest weapon is the weapon you only have to use once. Right. So you're saying that the atom bomb is too right. much weapon. Because the atom bomb at this point, we used it once and it's a threat. And now it's right. a threat. And so he's saying, this is my next weapon you only have to use once. It's like, once they see we have this, once we use this one time, we don't have to use it again. You see what I'm saying? Tony never finishes off the villain. He doesn't kill people. Yeah, he does. Kills tons of people. I mean... What are you talking about? I just watched him use missiles to direct target. Yeah. Like... Okay, but he doesn't he doesn't kill like anyone like important 
Like, ever. Right. Like, he doesn't kill the leader of the Ten Rings. He leaves him to the village. We may have to do, like, an Iron Man. So, all in all, what are your thoughts on Obadiah? Like I said, I give give him a five. You gave him a seven. I guess we'll call him, like, a a six on the Tommy Lee Jones to Heath Ledger scale. Which is now our official scale of villain ranking. Mm, I like that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll give him a six. It was good enough. It served the purpose in the movie. It got done what it needed to get done. And at the end of the day, we all went home happy. Jeff Bridges delivered a great performance. And I think he's probably pretty pleased with his role as Obadiah stained maybe i don't really know jeff bridges if you're listening shoot me an email bacon the next media at gmail.com yeah please like just say hey what's up you know we'd love most to, people we'd love to have a conversation with you about how you felt about this villainy but jeff bridges at me on twitter <laughs> at america Harlan. at america Harlan. so talking about the villain let's let's get into something real quick and by no means do i want to sit down and complain about this movie but like did you notice any flaws what was what were some things that you thought could have been done better um i think it was necessary but i don't like and i've got the movie actually playing right next to me right now um silently and i i've never really particularly much cared for this scene it's when he leaves gomira and then he gets into the like training exercise quote-unquote conflict with the thunderbirds or whatever i've never particularly liked this scene and i get like they had to reveal him to the military somehow but i think yeah, they wh- could have done it why why would the u.s military and I, I i definitely wrote this down i have a note saying this why would the u.s military want to kill this guy they he's killing terrorists for them doing their job for them and they're sitting there going yeah shoot it well i think i think the the issue is now there's a bogey yeah. they can't control right so that's why they've got to do it and and i'm like i'm gonna play devil's advocate like, even if they're I disagree continuing to shoot saying. him after he saves the pilot's life oh yeah even after he saves the pilot's life and then they're well no they don't shoot they him try after that to because jarvis literally is like they've re-engaged do you, do you want to pull up and tony's like no i'm gonna save this dude and then the military leader is still like yeah kill him and brody and brody's like mm, yeah not. maybe let's not murder this guy let's let's not do that and and like they even call it out that they know it was a cop-out to do this whole thing to how he reveals himself to the military and they're like oh just say it was a training exercise that's and Rhodey's like that's BS. not gonna happen and, and then Rhodey, it cuts to a scene where and then, Rhodey's like it's a training exercise right yeah. there's a lot of great cuts like and, that in this movie that was something i noticed that like those very contradictory you know we're not gonna do that and then bam we did that right right and then you know later on they're like uh you know tony and obadiah are fighting in the streets of la and like the military's like oh my gosh we need to scramble jets like okay you weren't about to go into a no-fly zone where there were literally <laughs> terrorists you're not gonna and fly jets into la freeway like right so, like sorry like <laughs> like there were known known terrorists where you weren't willing to fly just 20 minutes and ago now in you're this gonna... movie and then Rhodey's got to be like, just and training exercise. Into the downtown Los Angeles, just murking people left and right, innocent American <laughs> citizens <laughs> yeah. near the very factory yeah. where. I mean, I mean, that's these weapons a are made. Like, military trope, though. If anything happens, I right, scramble some jets. Let's just just get them ready. Just scramble. Let's scramble the jets. Yeah. Scramble them. Scramble them. Scramble the jets. Gotta break a few jets. You know. Are you talking bacon about bacon and jets? And jets? <laughs> Anyway, there's one thing that I didn't really get in this movie and subsequent movies is I don't understand the power thing. So let me let me explain. Tell me more. They they put the, the, the magnet attached to the car battery, so it's an electromagnet, so it doesn't lose power or whatever. To to keep the shrapnel like out of his heart. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it just like pull the shrapnel out of his chest and just like like attach to it? Apparently not. Apparently not, because um. Hang on, and this is this is definitely something that's bothered me every time I watch this movie. When 
Pepper pulls the thing out to change it. He's fine. She sticks her hand in there and everything, and he's just like, whatever, until she pulls the actual magnet out. He's fine. Then later on, when Obadiah pulls the thing out, he immediately goes into, like, cardiac arrest. Immediately. There's no, like, there's no, like, five no. minutes where we can just mosey around and talk about, oh, it's pus. No, it's not pus. It's just plasma. Ew, it's gross. There's just immediate dying. Well, most of that happens also because he was paralyzed for 15 minutes. Right. Right. So, you know, you can chit-chat for like 35 seconds with Pepper while there's nothing in your chest. But when you're paralyzed for 15 minutes, no, but like, it's it, bad. But, but, but right. he pulls that, it out. That to like me he pulls it out and immediately he like starts dying that time. It's because he's paralyzed. Like when he pulls, when Pepper pulls it out, he's just as frustrated. What bothers me about the whole Obadiah pulling the thing out of his chest is that Obadiah has a little grab things out of people's chests tool. Exact that's size. the exact yeah. diameter. Like what? <laughs> it's like something you manufactured and you make, you make yeah, carrying you can cases buy, you for. You can manufacture this, but you can't make an arc reactor. <laughs> right. <laughs> what also also uh i don't remember if they do this in the later films but what do you think of tony cutting circles out of his shirts <laughs> does he do he doesn't do that he does like there's circles cut out of his shirt right. so that you can see it i don't think throughout so. the movie it's usually it's usually just watched his again, t-shirt until but... obadiah cuts the shirt Mm-mm. no there are like multiple scenes where it is like I there's never a circle cut that. out of his shirt i probably I, I, now i'm remembering noticing that yeah. when i was a kid i thought that was later on but i mean that's that's just tony stark for you like he's still vain like at the end of the day he, he did not change that much like he's still very materialistic very like image focused nobody who's not image focused would have that beard oh i know that beard is very very well done it looks nobody like yeah it's, it's nobody would have that beard unless they were trying to cut an image if you weren't entirely image focused and I, I'm, I'm glad that they were able to create tony stark in an era where social media was a thing but it was before like yeah instagram and oh because that would have been like, the whole movie all that because like, i think tony stark's on twitter right right tony stark on twitter would have been like a huge thing and i'm super glad that like we didn't have to deal with that because i think that like from this point on those kind of tropes are going to be required when you have to play this kind of character and it's going to be fine and you're just going to it's just going to be part of it but i'm glad that this character didn't have to have that right in order to be successful absolutely yeah, it makes it just makes it so much more poignant that he can just exist and like yeah they kind of get to him a little bit in the media but like the media is not a huge deal with him and that's that's fine i like that I like just in general, if we're talking about a scene that I think was done extremely well, is the scene where Pepper is in his office and Obadiah walks oh, yeah. in and you have like, to this day, it makes my skin yeah, crawl just, when he's like having that conversation waiting for with her, her to slip up. Like, she just doesn't. Right. Like the way that they have that chemistry on screen and are able to like, cause those are two characters that up to yeah, this point, I don't think they've interacted on screen. You know what? I thought they did very well. Speaking of characters and, and well being well performed is that just the transition of agent colson from this like mindless bureaucrat into this badass you know shield guy and he just every time he comes on screen he's a little bit more confident every time he's like i'm getting my meeting listen I'm, it's happening where at first he's like yeah we'll, we'll schedule something we'll set it yeah. up and it just every single time he gets a little bit more confident until he's just like it's shield and and what i love about agent colson in this movie is that you can almost forget about him right until that last scene like it's it's kind of tough to say especially now being somebody who watches agents of shield and like has seen every film up to this point it's like you know you know how important of a character he is but in this movie he's so forgettable yeah. up until he says it's shield especially 
if you yeah, know what shield is sure. going and, I into mean, it. He yeah, gets and the, I, and he I gets did the bomb out. You know? and she's like, Oh, is that a thing that's going to unlock doors? Is that a thing that's going to unlock doors? It's what you're doing right now. You're like, you're going to unlock this door. Right. And he goes back up and they, they all turn around right. and, just and blows don't it up. Look at it and it just blows up. Oh, right. Man. Shield strategic homeland, uh, intervention. Yeah. Something like that. I don't have never known what it stands for. Cause it is such a mouthful. Oh gosh. Oh, gosh. I'm going to find out. Cause we like, we can't have this conversation without, without saying it. I mean, we can, we are um, capable. We have the technology. Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. It's, it's great. Yeah, we're working yeah, on it. We're working on it. Every time he's just like, yeah, people tell me this every time I speak. You know what's crazy about the whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing is like, you know, I know that it was underplayed and it was all about the reveal and it was movie magic to make it so that they didn't have a name for S.H.I.E.L.D. until the end of it. But like later on, it is very clearly revealed that like, oh, Howard Stark was part of like inventing S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.H.I.E.L.D. has been around forever. You know, so I mean, that yeah, was... Yeah, but I mean... That's just a little... Know. That's a little... Just a little splinter. I mean, it happens. You know? It's... It, it, it's, it's like at some point it's about making a good movie right that's I know. why, like, it's it why like, that robot keeps putting him out even though he's not on fire like it's just a little bit of making right. a good movie right it's just it, a little it's bit why of he like he can't do the math to make sure the suit flies because he has to land on the cars and stuff right he has to wreck his cars and do all that oh my god and when he when he when he goes yeah powering down and just falls through like three levels of the house yeah Ooh. what are your thoughts on this this is something i have never particularly liked in the whole iron man franchise is the camera angle of inside yeah, tony's no, it's mask terrible. it's terrible he's they like it's too so far stupid. away yeah you, you it it's, won't be able, you wouldn't be able to get that far away from his face right at all like there's no, the helmet is is literally his face it's in his face right and like it's got all those like heads up display and you stuff you should be able to see tony's eyes and that's it and i just I've never liked that, but I, I know there's no other way to no. do it. And I know they tried like a hundred I'm different sure things. They they I'm sure they did. I'm certain. They were like. Certain that they didn't just land on that like, to start this with. Thing, this thing's right in front of his face. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> but it's now, like. I'm just imagining I, Robert Downey Jr. like in a dark room with a light and a camera in his face. Right. And he's just kind of like rotating around. <laughs> and talking and like, to Paul Bettany, who's probably right. <laughs> just in a different part of the room, just yelling. Right. I love his relationship with Jarvis. Oh yeah. Like this is this is very early, and he's like, "Jarvis, are you up?" And he's like, "It's like it's your computer, dude." Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course, Jarvis, Jarvis is, is his awake. best friend. Like, not Rhodey. Like, right. it's definitely Jarvis. Well, it's because Jarvis is, is the greatest creation. Because right. Jarvis is an AI. We still don't have right. that. Like, Jarvis is is an AI that can think. Right, which is super and cool. terrifying. Yeah, it could definitely pass the Turing test. Uh, I don't know about that. Jarvis, I'm pretty yeah. sure. It could pass the Turing test. Maybe after it gets hit with an Infinity Stone. No, nah, before that, I think. Um, I, right now on the screen is Obadiah with his perfectly shaped arc, miniature arc reactor grabber. <laughs> it's just... It's, I never even thought about that until you said something. It's like it is literally it is the exact size and, and it has the necessary, like you know, prongs and necessary equipment to just, like, turn it and grab it. Uh, I don't know, man. What did you notice in this film that was a nod to films to come? Whether it be Easter eggs or, um, you know, characters in the background or mannerisms or, you know, I mean, the obvious one that they definitely shove right in your face but don't really say anything about is Phil Coulson. Yeah, right. and you never think he's going to be this huge part of everything but then he ends up being a huge part of everything and so to shield right. it, it just seems like it's 
just a thing like oh there's another government agency no not really yeah no that's going to be like the center of attention for like the next five yeah things. and then and then well, very quickly not well, well, the center not of attention one, but... right right and then it'll be kind of disbanded yeah. because they need a new they need new, a new big bad uh, right although shield isn't even the big bad but, kind of um, is shield now, is maybe not noticed... the big bad but shield is a problem yeah i mean shield creates problems and like shield is hydra and yeah all that kind of stuff yeah. and like you know and you have these two major story arcs that i still think are the two major story arcs is like even after civil war is like it's really all about cap and iron yep we'll uh, get to that eventually you know, thor and everybody else get their standalone movies but they're all just supporting yeah, characters we'll, it's about it's about capitalism versus patriotism we'll, we'll get there eventually <coughs> right I also noticed, and I mean, like, right now we're obviously going to be talking about a lot of stuff that technically we haven't gotten into yet, but I also noticed that in this movie, Tony is already drinking that, like, green concoction. Yeah. Uh, I did not catch that. Yeah, until... no, he definitely has already started on that. Like, there's no, there's none of the tattoos, like, the blood tattoos or anything on his body, which is what I'm going to call those. Um, but he's definitely already drinking the green liquid, which, like, Tony doesn't strike me, like, he's not in particularly good shape. Um, which sidebar Tony Stark is like the only superhero in the modern superhero era that gets to be a superhero and just not be ultra Yeah, it just doesn't fit. work out at all. He does nothing. Right. Right. And like even like, you know, this is getting way far into it, but like Doctor Strange is like a sorcerer supreme and he's in excellent yeah. shape and and uh Ant-Man is just a guy in I a mean, suit. Doctor Strange literally Doctor Strange also like manually makes his fingers work with magic. So that's a whole different level of Right. But then like like Ant-Man is just a guy in a suit literally just like Tony with technology from the same people and well, kind of the same the same sort of groups and man's whatever Ant-Man's scientists suit relies a lot more on on scott's scott scott, scott. scott yeah. mm-hmm. relies a lot more on scott's like athleticism and his you know abilities than tony's does anybody can be iron man and i think it's part of the whole thing but tony is iron right man. but like any he can be anybody he is the most important person at that point but he could be literally anybody hashtag war machine rock with an x I'm, I'm gonna say it again i'm so glad they got don Cheadle. <laughs> Yeah, Don Cheadle I like Don Cheadle uh, so much more as Rhodey. Anyway, we'll get into that when the time comes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is that he drives an Audi and all of S.H.I.E.L.D. drives Fords. Did you know that? I did not. I did not know that. I thought everybody drove an Audi in Iron Man. Nope. They drive Tauruses, like old body style Tauruses. Interesting. That's what I'm looking at. B Crown Vicks. I mean, that's a pretty pretty coppish car. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes that makes sense. Shield's definitely not, you know, the snazziest organization. Would you have put in Iron Man by Black Sabbath when they did? No, I actually wouldn't have. I think it's a little bit heavy-handed. I don't think I wouldn't have put it in at all. Oh, uh, you can't not put it in. I think you can. You got to remember, two thousand eight was still in the era of guitar. Hero. I mean, this is true. I think it, they could have placed it a lot more like delicately into the point where it kind of makes you giggle or whatever. And you're like, oh, there's that song. Like, like when somebody well, has I like mean, the like, Spider-Man ringtone in Spider-Man, it's just like, hey, there's a thing. So, do you think they could have done something with the minor third and done like sort of like a score, like a like a film score with either like an electronic orchestra or even just a regular orchestra to more incorporate that kind of Iron Man leitmotif into Yeah, the I'm actually surprised it didn't exist more in the score. Yeah, I thought for sure that would have been like 
And maybe that's like maybe they had the same conversation and they were like, no, that's beating it over the head. I mean, I don't think so because I I know the work of the composer and who did the score, which is Ramin Jawadi, and he does that a lot, where he he will put like the the he'll use the leitmotif to his advantage a lot and i just think this mm-hmm. this movie lacked any kind of like auditory cues like that but this was also like a long time ago for this kind of thing it's like that's more of like a it's become a, a lot more present recently than it has in in i, the past well, I think it's decades. become more present i think it's become more present in this genre recently i mean leitmotifs are no but in, as far as like opera as far as like <laughs> action movies right right that's like what i'm saying definitely like stuff that sticks out now and and the music is becoming a more integral part of movies recently, like action movies. Right, um, and I know, think we all that, saw movies like Kingsman you... and like the light motifs and that beat you over the head, but not in a bad way. Right, you know they've got these characters with these with these sounds that are incorporated with them, and and I think when you watch, um, you know, like you you have to watch Wonder Woman, and we'll have to get to that another time. Um, but you'll see how they do it in that, and that is one of the few films where they have that motif that was introduced when she was a minor character that now yeah. is amped up, and it, it like literally well, gives and that you was it was really well, well done, done in the the Man of Steel movies, which I think is like probably one of the only things that was really well done in the Man of Steel movies is is that like they have that that Superman theme that just kind of goes on in the background. Right, right, and you get to the, you get to have that familiarity with Superman over time. Yeah, um, and it's the same thing with like all the Spider-Man movies. Like you, you know, whenever somebody does have that that old '60s Spider-Man. Yeah, theme and song it just it happens or... like in like there's one in the Tobey Maguire movies where like a guy playing it on a guitar, and you know, it just it kind of happens like that. And I think that's more of like a Marvel thing to do. But then they just put it in at the end, like as a credit scene, and I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, whatever. Like it doesn't it doesn't hurt the movie. I don't think it helps it. Yeah, I definitely remember even the first time watching it because that was at a time when that song was going through sort of a renaissance oh, yeah. because of guitar hero um, because of guitar hero and all oh, credit to guitar hero for that one you know i didn't think that when re-watching it as an adult like it didn't really cross my mind but then it was like such an obvious nod that it it very much was like part of why i wanted to see it so bad was so that i could hear iron man and maybe that's why it was good that it was played at the credits yeah. is like you know they saved the very best for the yeah. very last part yeah, you know sure. I, it's like this I think is it the would part have been weird if they used the beginning where they used back with. in black oh you definitely couldn't use it at the beginning but maybe uh when he first puts on like the mark ii yeah I could see that, like as part of the montage. Yeah, I right. could see that. I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I don't really necessarily. Or like when it first takes. If off. you're going to use an actual audio clip of the song, I don't really know. There's a great place to do it. But I'm. Yeah. I'm I mean, the song also is generally like a little bit weirdly. Yeah, recorded. I'm generally opposed to that. Like I, I personally dislike when action movies use actual recorded songs as part of their score. I remember thinking the first time I saw it that Back in Black was a weird choice because I was like, you know, 16-year-old me or 15-year-old me was like, do they know there's a song called Iron Man that's like a metal yeah, song? Yeah, and I think, I think Back in Black was fine there just because it was the opening and they didn't really do it again. Like, there wasn't another instance of, like, a song happening. But it's either... Right. It, and that's the thing is I, I hate when these, like, big blockbuster action movies are like, we're gonna throw a song in there. And it's like, either go go full into it and you get, like, they did a Baby Drive where it's just the the score is like songs and it revolves around that and then or you go the complete other direction and just cut that out entirely and you focus on the score but i it, there's so much of this especially in the the big flagship like marvel movies of just like sticking songs in places where they don't really belong in my opinion mm-hmm. and it's just something that always sticks out to me yeah i agree with that but i do like the songs i think they're fun sometimes sometimes but I think I think they were obviously going to run into an issue here where they knew that these characters were going to interact, and obviously at this point there's just the one character. Yeah. But like you know, when when you do get those interactions, that's why I think it's so good to have those light motifs and 
traditional yeah. score. Like, even if you have different composers and everybody coming together, you've still got that same melody yeah, that each character is sure, associated sure. with. And th- I think, the, you know, the problem they would run into is because of there's so many different composers and everything is, like, they wouldn't be able to, like, make the chords fit when everybody was on screen yeah, together. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would, like, there's just so many characters that it would be this kind of kerfuffle of sound. Um, so I don't, I don't exactly know how I'd feel about that. Well, I mean, I think that's why you're not a composer, is I think that any composer worth his salt is going to be able to figure that one out. Or, or they're going to say, screw it mm. and create, like, an Avengers leitmotif. Right, right. And I yeah. think that would be a smart move as well. Um, I do want to go back to a okay. content thing real quick. Tony and his final fight, I don't know how we haven't talked about this because this is one of my biggest thorns in my side, is, you know, he's fighting Obadiah, but his real only reason he has any sort of loss in this fight is because of, like, the most cheap way for Iron Man to lose anything in any sort of situation and that, like, he doesn't have enough yeah, he, power. He, well, because he's using the, like, burnt-out unit. Right, he's using the old unit. But, like, that's, like, the, the same problem that, with, like, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies didn't work is because in every movie it's like, oh, he's got handmade web-slingers and they just break them and now he can't yeah, do the Spider-Man that, thing. That goes against a little you know, bit of Tony Stark for me is, like, he would definitely have a backup. Right, right. Like, Tony Stark is supposed to be the yeah, Batman he would have. He He's would have to be ready for everything. Ready to go. He would pull off like right. they're inside the, the hot rod trunk or something like that. And he just opens one of those cases. Right. There's like yeah, the V8 on the hot just, rod. The is cylinders are actually just arc reactors. Eight arc reactors. Something like that. Right. And he would but no, he's like, I'm going to run off with the broken arc reactor. And it's just they keep talking about it to the point where he's like, Jarvis, shut up. Just put it on my screen. Right. And, and I, 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 I don't like it. It's cheap. I, it's cheap. I think it's. It's cheap. It's like Iron Man is defeated by and then he still power wins. reserves, right? And he wins because yeah. Pepper wins. Yeah, because Pepper always has to kill his villains for him. And then, like, he's like talking about, oh, I need to get out of this suit, and he takes the glove off, and then he goes to shoot him later on, and like, love's not on, and it's like, yeah, why would you what? take that off? You know, like he reaches his hand up, right? Like, it's... why would? What do you mean? You let need me to tell get you a thing or two about a little phrase I like to call a plot device. Is right. that sometimes you have a point A in a movie and you have a point B and you need just a little bit of like movie magic to get you there. Like there's no reason why Tony would ever lose this fight no, to Obadiah. In the, the clearly superior suit ever. that goes slower and then somehow catches up. Yeah, that one didn't make any sense either. Yeah. Like the flight thing. And then Obadiah loses his tracking and like it's just the yep. world's worst shot. To be fair, Tony <laughs> wasn't a great shot at first with that thing either. with the Because he just completely misses with that missile trying to shoot the Ten Ring guy. Like, he just shoots it, like, way over his head. So I guess that was a little, we'll, we'll revisit that yeah. when it's relevant yeah, it's like, kind of thing. He's basing it off that suit. Clearly that suit can't aim. You know who can aim? Is that tank that shoots him out of the sky. Yeah, the tank deserves I just I was watching that, and I wrote a note about it, because I'm like, that tank is an amazing shot. You hit this guy going, like, real quick. It just it bing, shoots him in the face. Done. And he gets up and just shoots the tank, like, over his shoulder with the world's tiniest bomb that blows the yeah. tank up. Some well, Some he's, Indiana, he's an arms dealer. He's Some an Indiana arms inventor. Stuff right there. Did you know that, that scene with uh, Indiana Jones was like where he shoots not the guy with that the way? sword? Yeah, and it would have been yeah. so much worse if they did any other way. Just it's one oh, of the yeah. greatest scenes in action movies ever, where he just gets tired of the dude flinging the sword around and shoots him in the face. But that's literally it, because that has created so many opportunities for people to do things like that. But yeah, no, I don't like that Tony's 
weakness of not having enough power comes out because i think that like with superman you have to do that right like kryptonite right because superman's unbeatable like otherwise otherwise nothing beats superman so you've got to have the kryptonite superman but i think tony stark right i think tony stark i think iron man is a beatable yeah he's just a dude in a metal box or not villain beatable hero right like just 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 beat him you know just make it just make Obadiah's Stronger, suit yeah. a, a little bit better. But he didn't have the ability to make it better. He had the ability to work with what he's working with, which is what Tony Stark built in a cave with a box of scraps. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. I will, if, I, if there's one quote I will remember from this movie for the rest of my life, it is that quote. Because that has stuck with me. I am Iron Man. It has stuck with me my entire life since I've seen this movie is I just remember Jeff Bridges yelling, He built this in a cave! With a box of scraps. <laughs> I think I think that's going to be the first line of the, de- the description of our, of our podcast. <laughs> Tony Stark was able to record it. With a box of scraps. box of scraps. <laughs> All right. So one last thing we obviously have to talk about with any Marvel movie is the post credit scene. So talk to me about it. What, what happened? So, so, uh, basically, uh, Tony is walking into his house and he sees a person standing by the window in his home in Malibu saying, I am Iron Man. And then he talks about how he's not the only superhero. And we are introduced to Nick Fury, director, director of, Shield. of S.H.I.E.L.D. Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. It's like this huge reveal, like, oh my gosh, Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie. He's not in anything except he's in literally everything. <laughs> Yeah, but he was but, Nick Fury. Like, whatever. they designed Nick Fury to be him. So when it came time to make the movie, yeah, they were like, the, hey, let's get the guy that the comic book was literally based on. That iteration I mean, of the character, anyway. Yeah, Nick Fury's in, been... Uh, what was it? Uh, what's that game you always played? Marvel's Ultimate Avengers? Yeah. Marvel's yeah, well, the, Ultimate he Avengers. He was white yeah. in that. Well, you could play you? Black Nick Fury, too. Oh. There's... Yeah, the, oh, two of his skins are black. I mean, that game was trash. I mean, game was you could awesome. say that. But you're wrong. Well, it's going to be part of our part of our. Spent many a year watching you play that game, and it was not fun. Anyhow, director Nick Fury, director of Shield, comes in, and what he invites Iron Man to be part of Shield. Right. He's like, "You're not the first superhero," and we're kind of like, "Okay." You know, we get introduced to Captain America. What, like five movies later? Right. We don't. We don't get a Iron Man gets another movie before (gasps) that sentence comes true. Right. There's a little thing I want to introduce you to called Iron Man Two. But basically, we get introduced to the idea that he's not the only superhero. We know that the whole Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing is going to happen and there's going to be more S.H.I.E.L.D. story and superhero collabs and, and that's exciting. Um, and my thoughts on this post credit scene were it it is extremely well done for what it was at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it gets you very, very excited it's about the idea of future still superhero movies. Still probably the second movies. best one I've seen. I don't want to know what your favorite is, although I know in my mind what it I, is. I, I don't mean, want you to say it. I think you know what it is. We'll talk about this later. But I, I think yeah. you absolutely know which one it is. Yeah. But I, I think it was extremely well done. It was a good post credit scene. It didn't have any, like, obscure character that... I mean, I guess Nick Fury is an obscure character if you don't know who Everybody except Shield Iron Man is. at this point was an obscure character. Right. And even Iron Man. Like, when they were like, Iron Man's coming out, I was like, Iron who? You know, like, that was... I mean, I guess because i had played ultimate avengers i knew who iron man was but i didn't think much of iron man as a character and i honestly thought it was kind of a b-list character to be making a well, flagship you know, movie about robert downey jr needed to come back right and robert downey jr was like a c-list yeah. actor to be doing it although 15 and a half year old me did not I did know, know that. that actually i had i had seen i, did not I had know seen know multiple movies with him was, in it even a little and- bit my mom was always like, oh, it's a shame he turned drugs in his later years. I was like, well, now you've ruined it for me, mom. And then Iron Man came out and she was just like, oh, I'm so glad he's doing better from all the drugs. I'm like, ma, 
stop all the, all the ruining things for me. I'm 12. Was I 15? 15. I just you turned just 15. turned 15. Oh, yeah. I was when 15 Iron for two Man months. came out. You're right. Yep. Thank you for pinpointing my age to our listeners. But anyway. Yep. <laughs> you were 15 for like wow. a month and a half. Wow. Okay. Let's get um, real serious with it. You want me to give an exact day count? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> my address no, is. But, um. I guess we just put it in a beep. <laughs> but, um. Bacon and eggs media at yeah, gmail.com. physical address. Come stalk me, please. Thank you. Um. No, but I thought the post credit scene was very, very well done. I think it got everybody excited about future Marvel movies. It was also kind of Marvel standing up and saying, like, hey, these movies are going to not suck. I know we did pretty decent with those Spider-Man things, but then they got a little weird. But we're Listen, not doing that again, and Sony's Topher not involved. Grace is not going to be in these things. Do not worry. <laughs> Have peace of mind in knowing that we're not bringing back Topher Grace, James, James Franco, Franco. I mean Topher Dunst. Grace. Tobey Maguire, anybody except Willem Dafoe. They could bring Willem Dafoe back and I would be happy. Or Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. I have serious thoughts about the Spider-Mans that we could come to in another day, but... Well, there are many great superhero trilogies that are just dead. Right. So we can address those in Right. There in are many times. great superhero trilogies and the original Spider-Man movies are not one of them. Oh, I disagree, but whatever. I don't uh, remember asking. Anyway, what are, what are your final thoughts? Iron Man. Iron Man. How do you rate it? What What is... You know, this is we your, your one out of ten. Again. No, I need you a don't. scale, man. There's no, there's no, there's no perfect. No, but I mean, I'm talking about it just as a movie. We need a scale. Oh, you need. Oh, actually, I've been thinking about this a lot. So to wrap up, some final thoughts. What were your you know, final thoughts on Iron Man as a movie? So if I had to give Iron Man a rating, I would say Iron Man is a bacon temptation omelet. You know why? Because okay. a bacon temptation omelet is great. You got the bacon, you got the eggs, you got the cheese, you got the cheese sauce. You're like, this is great. This is a great. It's a well-composed omelet. This omelet has everything I want on it. And then for some reason, it's just got like fresh tomatoes on top of it. Which is like, I like tomatoes, but why do they, what are they doing there? Why are they Why are they on top of this omelet? Like, this is all very conflicting taste with these tomatoes I'm getting right now. So like, I'm going to leave the, the motiveless villain as my tomatoes. Bacon potato omelet. Interesting done interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna go with a fried steak and eggs now those eggs are definitely going to be sunny side up okay and i say this because it's a complete meal okay it's a whole thing you get your your fried steak sausage gravy hash browns shredded of course sunny side up eggs you get your protein your meat your potatoes your eggs also plenty of easter eggs sunny Zing. side up but then, but then you also get two pancakes <laughs> so you say maybe it's just a little bit too much wait a minute we had a complete plate of awesomeness right here. What is this? It's great. It's delicious. I love it. It's more than I could have ever so, asked for. More than I could have expected. More than I could have asked for. And see, I I have a different like feeling it. about the pancakes. And this is actually where I was going with this after this. I told you when we were preparing for this that I learned something about myself when I was watching Marvel or watching this movie. In that I preferred the Marvel mm -hmm. movies and I prefer a lot of things at the beginning. Like this is the beginning of the Marvel movies. I prefer the first couple seasons of TV shows. I'll tell you why. Is it feels manageable. It's like I can I can grasp mm -hmm. the full story. I know what's going on with every character. And you get five, six seasons of a TV show down the road and there's like they're in different countries, especially like a big like fantasy TV show. Like I do watch Game of Thrones. And yeah, Charlie's I do watch Game dead. Of Thrones, and like I don't know what is going on in Game of Thrones at this point. Like, there are so many different storylines. They're all branched out. It's the same way with Walking Dead. It was the same way with Lost. It was the same way with Breaking Bad. All the great shows you ever want to watch, they all have this problem. It's the same way with Guardians right. of the Galaxy it's Volume 2. It's just, two. like, <laughs> it's too much. And that's what I'm talking about, is Marvel always has to give you those extra pancakes. They're like, no, you need more pancakes. But by the time you get around to, like, Infinity War, whenever it comes out, there's going to be so many pancakes. 
you're going to be surrounded by plates and plates and plates of pancakes. And I don't like feeling like I'm drowning in pancakes. So it's all you can eat. It's not that I dislike the newer movies. It's just that I prefer, I feel more comfortable with them when they're manageable. So all in all, I think Iron Man's a great movie. I think it does what it needed to do in that it kicked off the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. It gave us a lot of great movies to come after it. And I like that you can just enjoy it on its own. It doesn't have to be part of a series. So I think in all in all due aspects like that, it's a it's a great movie. I would give it an overall like a serious rating. I'd probably rate it like a seven or an eight on as far as superhero movies go. Just because it is it is manageable. It is well done. It's well thought out. And it's just a solid movie. I, I mean, I completely agree. I definitely think it's one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Um, and I don't say that lightly. And I, you know, you'll find out over time that Iron Man is not particularly my favorite character. But I really, really like this movie. And I really like how Robert Downey Jr. portrayed the character. And, you know, I think the villain is is swallowable, is is manageable. I think the relationships are well done. I think that the, the presence of the actors on screen is well done. Um, I honestly give it probably like a eight to 8.5 out of 10 um in in the genre of superhero films now maybe in terms of all film don't even want to go there yeah it'd be closer to like a yeah i mean be closer to like a seven or um but in this genre i think it you know deserves yeah it's got lots of credit um you know especially in an era where like dark films are taking over and like nitty-gritty how evil and and it was a superhero movie that came at a time when Um, superhero movies were on the the downturn is like we had just had spider-man right. 3 right and that was really the last offering so i think i think overall it was very very good and i think within the genre it is is one of the best and it deserves all the credit it gets for what it is um and it's, it's a good movie fair enough i would i would wholeheartedly agree with that all right guys thank you for listening to the first episode of bacon and eggs we're gonna be back here shortly with more of the same content you've already grown to know and love i hope um if you need to reach out to us we're at bacon and eggs media at gmail.com as well as i am at wow now on twitter but the the o's are zeros so i know it's confusing to say out loud it's w zero w n zero w absolutely and thank you again for listening uh, again my name is tyler carlin i hope you've enjoyed this podcast you can find me on twitter at americarlin or you can reach out to us directly at bacon and eggs media at gmail.com thanks for listening please come again enjoy your breakfast foods on the way out tony stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps